0: Hi everyone and welcome to this Father's Day special of Motherkind. This is the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of motherhood and this week fatherhood with more acceptance, ease, joy and purpose. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and feel inspired and if you love the podcast do me a favour and hit subscribe, it really does help. Welcome to our Father's Day special. It's Father's Day here in the UK on the 19th of June and I am so excited about this episode. It is a powerful one. Bode Abaderin is a writer, speaker, businessman and stay-at-home dad. His wife, the amazing Candice Brathwaite, who's also been on the podcast. So check out that episode if you haven't listened already. Bode is on a mission to share that we need a new way of thinking about masculinity and fatherhood. He says it's vital that men unpick their beliefs about what it means to be a man and a father, or else they risk perpetuating this old, really stifling idea of masculinity and fatherhood. But A's story is one of transformation. He shares how he used to believe being a man meant earning more, not showing his feelings, and having this unpenetrable mask of masculinity. He had a rock bottom, a breakthrough, you would call it, which led to him totally transforming how he sees his role as a man and a father. And that is what we talk about in this episode. It is incredibly powerful. And I really, really hope that this is going to be one that you're going to want to share with the men in your life. I've already sent it to Guy. I only recorded it a few minutes ago and hopefully he's already listening to it because I was writing in caps on whatsapp listen to this now it is unbelievable please also buy the men in your life his new book called fatherhood it's brilliantly written it's relatable it's compassionate and it is a credible call to arms for the men in our lives i think you're also going to cry at the gift that he would give to all fathers i really hope you enjoy this father's day special episode here it is Welcome to the podcast. I was just saying I was nearly late to this recording because I was absolutely absorbed in finishing your book, which is incredible. It is really, really good. I was thinking if every father could read this, the world would be a very different place.
1: Thank you so much. And I think that's the reason why I wrote it, for every father possibly to pick up that book or my book and read it because I'm most certainly not the only man you know having the same thought process I'm most certainly not the only man that is dealing with things I've discussed and dissected in the book it's just opening up that conversation to get people thinking
0: it really does so let's start right at the start which is where you start the book actually And something that I absolutely love about the book, and I haven't seen much in books for fathers at all, is that how important it is for fathers to look at their own childhood and their own narratives and how that might be informing how they show up today. So tell us about your childhood and what beliefs that instilled in you.
1: My childhood, I grew up in Nigeria, so I spent half my life in Nigeria, and it was a typical Nigerian Yoruba household. The Yoruba culture focuses heavily on the male, you know, on the boy child, on the man, because men are seen as the head of the family, pretty much the head of everything, and they say jump, and everyone else says how high. So there was a lot of Pressure on me as the only male child, and as the firstborn of the family as well. So that's a lot of pressure put on me. My father, again, is the head of our family, immediate family, and also the head of the external family as a whole. So they are bordering families, which is like a clan. Let's put it that way, like 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 a clan. So he's like the head of the whole family, you know, worldwide. Again, that was a lot of pressure. He was trying to make me, you know, walk his path as well, kind of like in his own image, you know, what he felt a man or a boy that's going to grow up to a man should be. It was strict. I wasn't allowed to show emotions. I mean, if I cried, I often heard things like, why are you crying like a girl? You know, I often got castigated for crying, for showing emotion. There was a lot expected from me in terms of at that very young age, I was expected to be my sister's guardian, for example. When I was only young, I was a little boy just trying to figure my stuff out. I was expected to be my sister's guardian. I was expected to act and behave in a certain way because guess what? You are the son of a high chief. So you are expected to act and behave in a certain way like a son of a high chief. And it was a lot. And even at that young age, there was a lot going through my mind. There's a lot that I just didn't feel was right, but I couldn't say anything because guess what? I'm a boy child and I'm just supposed to put up and shut up and just follow the path because that is the way. To be honest with you, that's what I could say in terms of my growing up. So that's a summary of it. I can go into absolute detail, but we'll be here for a very long time. But that's the summary of it. It was a childhood I was filled with a lot of expectation, so much weight on my shoulders. I was expected to be perfect, I was expected to be stoic, I was expected to be void of emotions and just be that upstanding, you know, strong structure. And it was a lot.
0: Some of the stories that you tell in the book are beautifully written and also paint such a picture of that view of masculinity. You said in the book, you said, I've come to realize that childhood trauma has a way of reappearing in your life later on without you even knowing it's happening. Unprocessed, unresolved, or undealt with childhood trauma is guaranteed to resurface in life at a later stage. And the transition to parenthood can be one of a few major triggers where we can find ourselves struggling. It was this part that I was absolutely with you because this has been my experience. Tell me about what traumas and beliefs were surfacing for you as you became a dad for the first time and how that kick-started this awakening, I would call it, in you. Tell us about that because it's an incredible story.
1: Yeah, you know what? And I say this every time, every time I speak to people, that my mother was a visionary. So I'm going to start with that. My mother was a visionary. I'm not quite sure she understood what she was doing, but she was a visionary. When I think back to how she worked really hard to counteract everything else that was happening around me, You know, she pulled me into the kitchen at a very young age. I was the person that she pulled into the kitchen, not my sisters. I was the person that she taught how to clean the house, not my sisters. I was the person that she really showed how things should run domestically, not my sisters. I'm not sure she knew what she was doing, but deep down inside, I think subconsciously she was essentially trying to ensure that I didn't end up like my father or I didn't end up like most of the men that she grew up around. Not surprisingly, though, I'm not surprised by this, though, because actually her dad, my grandfather, was exactly like that. He was a nurturer. He was quite emotional and he was soft. He was soft with us, the grandkids. And according to stories that my mom told me and her sisters and her brothers have told me, that's exactly how he was with them, you know? So I'm not surprised by that. But you know what? This trauma that we're talking about. I didn't realize what was happening until later on, until my second child, Esme, right? That's when I actually realized that, you know what, there is something I'm dealing with and I'm battling here. And what I'd done was a lot of memories of my growing up, I'd buried, I'd created a version of myself that I wanted the world to see. So I was projecting a false image of myself into the world, which was the image that I thought or I felt I was meant to Kind of show because of what I was taught growing up. So I'd really absorbed the messages, the direct and indirect messages that were coming from my father, from Nigerian society, from society as a whole, which is how a man should be. So many things that happened whilst growing up, you know, the way I was dealt with by my dad and how, you know, I had that really strong upbringing affected me in the sense that I was hiding a lot of my emotions because I was told I wasn't meant to show them. But that's not healthy, is it? Because emotions have a way of coming out. They will find a way to come out. And then I realized I needed help when we had our second child, Esme. And I just found that I was reacting to things in ways that I felt I didn't like whilst growing up. I had feelings whilst growing up. I had my dreams and goals and aspirations whilst growing up. And I didn't like the fact that all of those were kind of shoved aside. And I was told they didn't matter because that was the way. You know, that for some reason, what I was meant to be in life was constructed for me even before I was born. My initials are OBA. And in the Yoruba language, that means something that means king. So I was taught from young, you are a king, you're a royalty, all these bits that you want to do. You say you want to go and be an athlete. No, that's not what you're going to do. You know, you're supposed to be an economist. You're supposed to be an accountant. You're supposed to go to university. You're supposed to go to church and pay, what, 10 to 20% of what you earn, even though it was pocket money as tied to church. You're supposed to tore this line, not those dreams and goals that you have for yourself. Because I had many. I was a dreamer. But then the dreams I had were tagged as daydreaming. I was wasting my time daydreaming. I could sit down. I was very artistic as well whilst growing up. I used to doodle a lot. So I used to draw some stick men. And there was a time when dad just looked at it and said, what is this stick man that you draw everywhere and took it and ripped it apart? I was like, that's rubbish. You're wasting your time doing that. I tell you what, sit down in that room and don't come out until you learn your timetable right? And all of this comes out and manifests in a certain way, especially when you have your own children. And now these are people that are looking up to you, that you're supposed to guide and you're supposed to help through the world. And you're trying to figure stuff out. And you're trying to figure stuff out that you don't even know about yourself. And then you start to panic and you start to react. And you start to react in a way that you know how, because that's what you were told. So that's the story.
0: What was as made triggering in
1: you? Esme has challenged me and she continues to challenge me. Esme is way ahead of her years. I often say Esme's eight going on 18. Esme will challenge you. Esme will ask you questions. Esme will say, no, this is not right. You know, Esme wants to go on and she says her goal is to create a company that manufactures vehicles that run on hydrogen to rival Tesla. Because apparently she feels battery technology is not good enough, especially when it comes to saving the planet. And I thought, "Mm, interesting, you go, girl. And she's always challenging me in, in that respect. And this was me facing my child. And she didn't even have to say anything. But I just look at her and I'm just remembering my childhood and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't like this whilst I was growing up. So why do I think she would like that? So it really forced me to seek help to Dig out those past traumas that I thought I'd locked away in a box somewhere, you know, because I had created a different version of myself that was projected onto the world. So I understood at that very point that I had to seek help to help me marry all parts of myself because they're actually all okay and they can function together.
0: Yeah. And you describe it so beautifully in the book. You know, and actually it's a real thread that weaves through almost every chapter is this idea of, of seeking help. And getting outside of yourself because we only know what we know. And as you say, you know, simply but sort of poignantly said just then, particularly in parenting, we do tend to revert back to our patterns, our habitual patterns. And it can be really heavy lifting, can't it, trying to break those What are those cycles that you're really trying to break? It sounds like there's definitely one around feelings and allowing feelings in your house. It sounds like there's one around allowing dreams. But what are the other big cycles that you're trying to break, particularly around masculinity and fatherhood?
1: That's a very good question. That's a very good question. And you've hit the nail on the head there. And actually, I'm happy you've asked the question. See, what I was taught about masculinity and what a lot of men are taught about masculinity is the same thing I've said. Stoic void of emotions, the whole world is filled with so much masculine energy that even women in the workplace are having to really embody that masculine energy to get by. And we're told that men shouldn't do domestic things. We're told that it's not a man's place to change diapers. I mean, I had my dad ask me once when he was around, when he saw me changing RJ's diaper, I had him ask me once, why are you doing it? Why isn't Candice doing it? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> hello, I took part in creating this child. That's my child as well. I am also responsible for the child. So if I'm able to help or take part in creating a child, I should be able to change the child's diaper, isn't it? Like who says that's for women only? For me, it's really important that my son most especially, and my daughters as well, it's very important for me, for them to see me doing those things, that society is classed as for women. Prime example is this book I've written. You go looking for parenting books and you find out that a lot of them are geared towards women. And you begin to ask yourself the question, but why? The role of parenting is not solely for women, is it? You know, you go to the workplace and your wife or your partner is having a child and you're asking for time off work. And it's like a taboo because you're asking for more than the normal two weeks that men get. You're asking for more because actually it's your right. You can ask for more. There is extended parental leave. And you're looked upon like an alien. Like, what is it you plan on doing? What You, you want to go feed the baby as well? You're just going to be in mommy's way. No, I'm not. <laughs> Guess what? I'm there to support. I'm a support function and I need to be there. And most importantly, I think it's important for a child to actually feel that, for a child to see that, and for a child to experience that. Once more men start to partake in that, you can imagine how much that would ease the stress of mothers. So many mothers suffering with depression after childbirth. So many mothers suffering with burnout after childbirth. Imagine how the world could be if more men did that. So for me, it's really important that my children see me doing those things. In our house, for example, I'm the person that loads up the washing machine. Cadiz probably doesn't know well, I'm not going to say probably it's a fact. She struggles on how to, you know, what liquid to put into what compartment in the washing machine. That's okay. I'm happy to do that. I'll load up the dishwasher. I'll empty the dishwasher. I'll sweep up. I'll do the laundry. It's just really, really important for me that they see that.
0: I mean, you say parenting book. I don't think your book is a parenting book. I mean, it is. It is, but it's way more than that. It's a healing book. It's a call to arms to change this idea of what masculinity and fatherhood means. What do you want masculinity to mean? So, because we talked quite a lot about what we are sort of changing the narrative, but what do you want it to change to? What do you want masculinity to mean in our world today?
1: So there's something I've written down, if you don't mind me reading it, right? And what I've written down is this. I wanted to write this book to the spell myths. And my goal is for people, for men mostly, to read this book and question the beliefs around fatherhood, Manhood and modern masculinity. We have to understand something, which is the world is moving on. Gone are the times when we had defined gender roles within a family setup. I think more men need to open up because a lot of us are feeling this way. The problem is there's an issue when you're trying to communicate it because of fear of being judged as weak. Actually, on the contrary, I think it's Strength having the ability to share those feelings because it's not something that comes as first nature to a lot of men. So, the moment you're able to cross that barrier and to share how you really and truly feel, you're on to a winner. Most importantly, I think friendship groups, male friendship groups, need to change and they need to adapt. And I speak about this in my book around how most male friendship groups are formed. Most male friendship groups are kind of shoulder-to-shoulder relationships. Reason is we bond over common interest. Again, most, not all, but most, we bond over common interest like football, cars, golf, stuff like that. You don't really have male friendship groups where we're actually having proper meaningful conversations. Whereas when you look at female friendship groups, most of them are actually face-to-face, which means They go deep in their conversations. They're able to share their innermost thoughts and feelings. I want to imagine a world where more men feel free enough to share their innermost feelings. Imagine how more men can start to hold other men accountable for their actions. Imagine what that would do to numbers in terms of domestic abuse. When more men are pulling other men up and saying, hold on a minute, bro, that's not right. Because actually what you find is men find it easier taking advice or listening to other men because of the way society is set up. Society says no woman should tell a man what to do because guess what? The man is the king of the castle, is it? But no, times are changing and there's nothing wrong. I've heard this conversation several times, especially from this part of the world where I come from, where a lot of men say, oh, I would never allow my wife or my partner to earn more than me. I have an issue with that statement, so many parts of it. The word allow in the first place. Are you the gatekeeper to what the woman earns? What's wrong with you? And plus, what's wrong with that? And I battled with this when I decided to resign from my career to actually take on the role I took on in the house, which is I was a stay-at-home dad. I struggled with it. I struggled to define myself. When I was asked, what do you do, because again, somehow masculinity is tied to what you do or what you earn somehow your masculinity is tied to that and that is so destructive i struggle to define myself oftentimes i came up with things like oh i'm trying to figure out how i can create some investment portfolio no bro you're just a stay-at-home dad you're a stay-at-home dad and that's very important that's very important because i have a wife that's actually doing really amazing things And in order for her to actually have more time to focus on those things that are actually really amazing, bearing in mind by that time, she was already bringing in more money than I was from my years of employment and building a career. So, which meant she could then go out and spend more time doing those things whilst I cover up on the home front and take on those things. It's an important role. Who says I can't do that as a man? So, I essentially had to break myself out of that to say, no, bro, you are a stay-at-home father. That's what you are. And here we are. And I just feel it's important. And this is what I want a lot of men that pick up my book to read. You need know, to just start thinking about that. How are you affecting the progression of your household? Because you're stuck in those old school way of thinking about masculinity. Who does it benefit? Does it benefit you? Does it benefit your family? How does it benefit society? How does it benefit your children? I just want that thought process. I just want it to start. I want you to start thinking. If we can start doing that, I believe we're on to a winner.
0: And I think that idea of men having that courageous step, right? To think, what are those beliefs? Because you describe so humbly some of your beliefs in your first relationship and what led that breaking down, which is a lot of what you're talking about. Tell us about that, because I think that was such a moment when I was reading and I was like, ah, yes, that metamorphosis of you from a guy living in that old way of masculinity and the impact that that had on Sam to who you are now. Tell us about that transformation. It is an absolute transformation, by the way, from that man to this man that is sat in front of me.
1: (laughs) It's a lot. You know, and to be honest with you, myself and Sam talk about it You know, even now. And just because, you know, we've become very, very good friends as well. We've become very good friends.
0: That is so beautiful to hear.
1: Yeah, and it's great. But for us to become very good friends, I had to reckon with that part of myself. I had to take responsibility for my actions. Never mind the part that she played. To be honest with you, that doesn't matter. It's the part that I played, which actually contributed to the breakdown of that relationship. I saw myself as dad. I saw myself as dad, and I'd sworn when I was younger that I wouldn't be like that. But here I was, being exactly like that, because I hadn't processed these feelings. These thoughts were not processed. These thoughts were locked away. What was happening is, just like I said earlier, the trauma was manifesting in a way that I didn't even recognize. I didn't know. I just thought that that is what I was meant to be. And this is the problem with... Transgenerational trauma. This is the issue when people don't deal with their traumas. This is what happens. Because what then happens is we end up transferring that onto our children. And if our children don't deal with it as well, they end up transferring it to their children as well. So for me, that's exactly what was happening. I hope nobody picks up my book and reads it and feels, oh, this guy hates his dad. Because that's not what I'm trying to say in my book. What I'm actually trying to show is the transformation. What I'm trying to show is my dad knows what he knows. And that is what happens when you do not deal with the trauma that you face whilst growing up. He transferred that onto me. Now, I've learned to deal with it differently. I've learned to deal with it differently via therapy, via speaking to people and having the right support groups and friendship groups around me, people that hold me accountable. And I'm now changing it. And I'm actually educating him now, whilst I'm also educating my children. So I'm now that conduit, that person in between us, like, hold on a minute, we are going to break this generational curse. It's
0: so powerful. And I cried when you talked about the healing with your dad. And when your dad turned to you after watching you with your children, and he said, I'm learning how to be a parent once again from you, my son. I respect you. I respect what you're doing, how you're doing it and who you have become. I mean, that just makes me want to cry now.
1: Absolutely. I remember the day he said it, it was, that was a lot. You know, he first of all started by saying, I never knew you would turn out to be the man that you are today. You see, to me, that proves something, that he didn't think he had it all figured out. Again, just like myself, that was a projection. That was a version of himself. That was an image that he felt he had to create and project onto the world. So deep down inside, something in him felt, that's not right. But again, when we start to have that little voice in our heads or that feeling in our heart telling us, this is not right, this doesn't feel right. Imagine what happens when you start to act on that. When you start to Actually, really dive deeper to figure out why you have that feeling rather than just following the status quo.
0: A quick word from this week's sponsor, Jamondo. So, studies show that regular exercise not only builds your physical strength, but also boosts your mood, reduces stress, and increases self esteem. I definitely know that one of the easiest ways for me to get that serotonin flowing is through exercise. So let's get more of that incredible post-exercise feeling with Jamondo, which is an online fitness and wellbeing platform with hundreds of 20 to 30 minute workouts, brilliant time for me and programs ranging from hit and yoga to dance and meditation, plus thousands of healthy recipes. Jamondo will help you make exercise a consistent part of your routine because as we all know, consistency is the key and because Jamondo is online it will give you freedom and flexibility to decide when and where you work out which is for me in my living room start a free 14 day trial free 14 day trial and save 50% on your annual membership by visiting jamondo.com that's g y m o n d o.com and enter the code motherkind back to the episode what would you say to those men who, or those women who are with those men who have no interest in asking themselves those questions. Can we, as the women, facilitate that awakening in the way that you have? Or does it have to come entirely from, you know, you described the rock bottom that you had in that relationship with Sam and your first child. And that seemed like your awakening, you know, you took that rock bottom and my gosh, you transformed. Do you think it has to be that way? How can women facilitate the journey and the introspection that you've been through?
1: First things first, selfishly, I would say buy my book, gift your other half of my book, (laughs) I would say that, you know, give the other half my book, because there's a discussion happening in my book, like you've rightly said. From what I have learned or what I've understood, a lot of men listen to men, especially men that are in that thought process or men that in that circle that you've just described, where they feel, yes, I am the man, no one can tell me what to do. It's very difficult. And I saw it firsthand whilst growing up where my mother was trying to correct my dad, or just pick up some, touch tell my dad, look, that's not right. And he reacted in a way that, nah, listen, woman, don't tell me what to do. I run this ship.
0: Well, just like you did with Sam.
1: Just like I did during Sam as well. Sadly, the man has to learn himself. Sadly, that's what I feel, that That man has to learn himself. Every man, every man, regardless of where they are, has that thought. I want to believe that they have their thought in their mind. They have that feeling in their heart that something is not right. You can clearly see that your other half's not happy. You can see that based off of your behaviors. You can see that. The question is, do you care enough to try to make changes? Again, the question is, who do you think your behaviors benefit If more men can start to look at things from other people's perspectives, like I describe in the book, if somebody comes and says, You've hurt my feelings, even if you feel that you haven't done anything to hurt the person's feelings, that person has told you you've hurt their feelings. That's from their perspective. How about you give that space and time rather than just looking at it from your own side? Imagine how many issues can be resolved that way. And that is something that. We practice in my house. It's something that we do religiously in our relationship, myself and Candice. Candice comes to me to say, oh, you've upset me. Now, I may not feel that I've done something to upset her, but she said I've upset her. Right? So it's for me to take that on. That in itself, I think it's real manhood. That's real humanity. But masculinity tells you that that shouldn't happen, is it?
0: Yeah, well, I guess traditional masculinity says you fix it as the man okay, how can I fix it? My husband does that a lot. I'll be like, I'm so sad. He's like, what do you need? How can I fix it? And I'm like, no, no, no. I need space for you to just hear my feelings. But I am lucky because my husband does do a lot of therapy. So he's getting really good at this. But before when we first met, because his father was devoid of emotion, just like yours, you know, it's like learning a new language. It's like learning a new language being able to talk about feelings and emotions. And I have so much compassion for men who can't do it because how are they supposed to know how to do it? They've not been taught.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you've just said something that is very, very important. Uh, First of all, I heard about that. I was listening to a podcast for the life of me. I can't remember what podcast it was. What was said there was, imagine when your wife comes to you with an issue and rather than just going straight into fixer mode, into Bob the Builder mode, how about you sit down for a second and just ask her, what do you want? comfort or solutions what do you require from it comfort or solutions and I thought wow and I heard that about three to four years ago and I tried it the very first time that Candice came to me with an issue immediately after that I said what do you require from me comfort or solutions so she was taken aback like whoa and she goes actually what I want is comfort I was like here you go that's the hug do
0: you know what I think I think 90% of the time it's comfort
1: yes absolutely
0: we don't need you guys to tell us what to do. We got that. We want to be seen and to be held and to be just validated in the struggle.
1: That's what I think. Absolutely. And that was a turning point in our relationship as well. That's a turning point because me as well, I would have flown straight into fix the fix the problem mode. Right, this is what we're going to do. Da, 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 da.
0: Yeah, because fixing the problem removes the discomfort of the feeling, right?
1: Exactly.
0: You don't have to sit in the feeling if you're fixing it.
1: But you know what I have learned and more men need to do that as well. Learn to sit in the feeling, sit in that feeling, feel, we're human, feel, try to forget what society has told you a man should be. That stuff doesn't work. It's not working. In fact, that stuff doesn't benefit everyone else. It doesn't. And we're all about building up everyone, aren't we? So how about we actually show it by actions and start to change the way we think and the way we do things and the way we handle things. How about more men take up the opportunity to take up more time off work when they have a newborn baby? How about more men take up the opportunity to start to have meaningful conversations with their peers? You know, how about more men sign up for therapy? That's another one. That's my answer to a lot of men now that I speak to. You know, I give them the space to talk and share their feelings without me feeling the pressure of trying to solve that problem for them. I don't feel that pressure anymore. You know, talk to me. Let's talk and share the feelings. And I say to you, you know what? I think you need a therapist. Really? I don't think there's anything wrong with me. That's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. But we all need a therapist. We all have something we're dealing with. And what better place than a place where you're dealing with somebody that doesn't have any ill feelings towards you? There's no bias whatsoever. And the person is actually trained to handle that. You will find out that there are so many things about yourself that you didn't realize.
0: It's so powerful, isn't it? And and you talk about why don't men take up more shared parental leave. Well, I think one reason is it's a complex system that actually companies find it hard to understand. The second reason is I think that, and there's an amazing chapter in the book I want to talk about now around financials and the financial split in the home, because I think one of the reasons it doesn't happen is because men think, I need to be the breadwinner. Now I'm a father. So if I take six months off, that's going to harm my career prospects. And I'm now responsible for this little person and my wife, whatever she's working or not working. So I wonder, I'd love to get your view, if that's another reason why enough men don't do it. Because of that old model of fatherhood and masculinity, that it's I'm the breadwinner now.
1: It so is. You know, that pressure, like I said, you know, I had the pressure as well. Look, you're a father now. You know, you've got to put food on the table, come what may. But When I think back to all those times where I spent so much time outside of the home, you know, when Esme was born, where I'll leave the house on Monday and sometimes not get back to Friday because my job took me up and down the whole country. I had a national role at the time and, and so much. When I think back to that now and how it's affected my relationship with Esme till this day. Till this day, Esme will not let me put her to sleep. Even if I'm the only parent in the house with her at the time, Esme would say, that's okay, dad. I'm going to put myself to sleep. And then I just say good night Because there's a ritual that herself and her mom do every night when her mom's at home. There's a ritual that they... And they've done that from when she was younger, you know, from when she was, a you know, they've, they've done that. They have a, they've got a, a little poem that they say and every year when there's a milestone or something, they add something onto it. So that poem has just grown and grown and grown and they do it every year. And I've tried to learn- That's
0: so beautiful.
1: I know. And I've tried to learn the poem. In fact, I've learned it and I tried to. She was like, no, dad, you're not saying it right. No, actually, dad, don't worry. It's okay. All right? Good night. I'm going to bed. And that is primarily because- those pivotal moments, those important moments, I was at work. My mom was there to put her to sleep. What is okay. We have a brilliant relationship. But you see, I have to sit with that feeling. I have sat with it. And it's there. And it's a constant reminder. Rather than get angry or jealous about it, I've used that to actually spur me on. I'm like, okay, I've got RJ now. This is going to be different. Okay? You're going to feel me. Okay. (laughs) And that's it. It's great. I could go on and on about all of this, man. Honestly, I can.
0: Do, because I think it's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, there are not enough men like you, talking about this stuff it's just a massive chasm in the whole conversation around equality and feminism and motherhood and you know I'm doing a great job on the mother side but you need to start a podcast and, and speak to all the fathers because it is a huge a huge chasm in the conversation. So tell me how did you you know talk about that financial side of things because I think you know and I know in my own relationship that is often the crux of where we get to. Is around the financials because my husband earns more than me so it's like well you're going to have to be the one to pull back on your career a bit more so because it often comes down to that so how did you square that circle how did you heal that I would say it's that worth that you were linking to your ability to earn in order to as you say so brilliantly early on think more of as a unit with Candice and what you could do together tell us about that transformation
1: This is another area where I'm going to give my mom credit because I saw the dynamics of my mom and dad's relationship. And I saw how, because dad was the person that had the bigger job, mom had to take the back seat and be a stay-at-home mother, which is a massive job in itself, right? It is. That woman, she worked hard, right, in carrying out that role. But I saw what it did to mom and how we affected her psychologically till this day. You know, the dependency is there till this day. That dependency on dad for everything is there till this day. So I think from early on, I had that at the back of my mind that my own family setup was not going to be like that. I had that subconsciously from just seeing how it affected mum. Subconsciously, it was just at the back of my mind that that's not going to be me. You know what? I struggled with it a little bit at the beginning, especially with Sam. You know, where Sam started to earn a bit more than me and whatnot. And I started to get jealous about that. Again, when you don't deal with trauma, it manifests in a certain way that you don't even understand. But then I started to get the much needed help. And here I was with Candice. And for me, it was really, really important that we work as a team, because we are a team, right? We're a couple with children and we're raising a family. Why should one person have to, you know, sacrifice growth or development because the other person is seemingly doing really, really well? Why can't it be a balancing act? It's a balancing act, isn't it? So here we were. Candice said, I'm quitting my job because I want to build my career. That's fine. I've got to be honest. It was a bit of a struggle because I was like, what? You're quitting your job because you want to go build something on social media? Like, what are you telling me? So for a bit, it was a, it left a bad taste in the mouth. But you know what? That woman is a visionary, Candice. She's amazing. And she's stuck to a gun. She goes, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Take it or leave it. Okay. Is this for us? Are you thinking about it for us? Or are you thinking about it for yourself? What is it? And I was like, okay. That's when I then traced it back to how I felt with mom and dad. And that was always there constantly at the back of my mind. And Candice went on to build what she was building and it grew initially while she was building that, obviously I was working and holding down the job and ensuring that, you know, the bills were paid and all that kind of stuff, but she was building her stuff anyways. And then achieved the success that she deserved and things started to get really big for her and really busy. And, you know, she started to pretty much out earn me. That didn't bother me at all. In fact, I spoke about it freely. People looked at me like, what? I had other men looking like, what are you even saying? Like, That doesn't make sense. But I spoke about it freely. I remember then because I was still in the workplace. I was like, yeah, to be honest with you guys, because it got to a point I just felt I was just doing the job just because as a man, I felt I had to hold down a job with a job title of business development director. You know, that's just all I felt. So I even said to them, I was like, look, honestly, I'm not really enjoying this job anymore because in the grand scheme of things, it's not really feeding my soul, but I'm just doing it anyways. And I don't really need it because... There's enough money coming into the household anyways. That's how I started to feel. We see the beauty of it, you know, when we started to work together is that's then allowed or helped both of us to actually achieve things we want to achieve. There's a beauty in working together as a team and nobody getting ahead of themselves, if that makes sense. Because again, old school masculinity would say, there's no way on earth they should allow. Again, I have an issue with that word in that sentence will tell you that there's no way you allow your other half, your female other half, earn more than you. Because for some reason, they're not going to listen to you anymore. Do you see how destructive that is? They're not going to listen to you anymore. You can't control them anymore. It's all about the control, isn't it?
0: Well, it's because this old idea of patriarchy, masculinity and financial power are so inextricably linked, right? So you take away one and then you have to question masculinity. And I wonder if that's why so many men are not available to that. Because like you experienced, particularly in that first relationship with Sam, the moment the financial dynamic changes, you have to question masculinity. I think that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? To lean into that
1: question. It's a very difficult thing to do. Like I said, Until I got the answer, and the answer was, "Bode, your masculinity is tied to how much you earn and what you do for work. How sad is that? Until I got that answer, the only way I could come to that answer was with help, through therapy. You know, so therapy helped me piece it all together. When I got that answer, I thought, right, I've had this all wrong.
0: What's your masculinity tied to now? What does it mean to you today?
1: What my masculinity is, just being there for my family. Feeling with them, growing with them, learning with them. That is what my masculinity is tied to now. My kids most especially, ensuring that I don't treat them as if I own them. I don't own them. I'm a vessel to help guide them through the world as they figure themselves out. That's what my masculinity is tied to. My masculinity is tied to raising the next generation of men who don't think that their money or what they do for work is what makes them men. That's what my masculinity is tied to. My masculinity is tied to my little boy seeing me cry when I need to cry or when I want to cry. It's tied to him seeing me giving him hugs and kisses and seeing me dance around their mom and, you know, just hug their mom and kiss their mom and listen to music and just laugh. That is what it's tied to.
0: It's absolutely beautiful. And I hope to see you on many stages. As you were speaking, I was I could see you on many stages across the world sharing that vision for masculinity. That is what we need because, you know, when you said growing together, feeling with them, ushering them into the next the next generation, it's so different than the sort of old patriarchal model of masculinity, which was outdated but still so
1: prevalent. Absolutely. And you know what? It's a dream of mine. Again, this wasn't on the cards. I'm building new dreams now. You know, this is what happens again when you break through what the narrative says. You start to create new dreams, right? Writing a book wasn't on the cards for me. Talking about my masculinity so open wasn't on the cards for me at all. My goal was to just get a job. And it's not a bad thing, don't get me wrong. You know, If that's someone's goal, please crack on and do it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But my goal was get a job in a company, rise through the ranks in the company, be a director, probably maybe become a CEO of the company one day. That was it. But here I am, I've written a book, and all of a sudden, I want to have more conversations with the younger ones. Actually, the younger ones were always attracted to me in the past as well. It's something... That always happened. I'd always engaged with the younger men, younger generation of men and just having conversations with them. They always saw me as someone they can come to and just openly share stuff with. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, I need to really hone in on that properly. I really need to focus on that a bit more and start to have more conversations with them. Apart from fathers reading my book or fathers to be, I actually want younger boys, younger men to pick up that book and read it. Because I think it's also important that they learn that much about themselves before they go on to become someone's husband or partner, or before they go on to become someone's father, if they choose to be. I think it's important that they figure those things out about themselves too.
0: I think you need to write another one for teenage boys. And I was just thinking, isn't it interesting how, you know, you shared in your childhood that you were told, you know, that you're important and you're king and, and how that, has manifested in that you do have the now this important message, but it's just totally different than, than the message that it's just mad, isn't it? That in a way you're fulfilling that destiny that your family so wanted for you, but just in an entirely different way.
1: Absolutely. Again, when you think about constructs, this is the thing about social constructs, when you start to figure out who it benefits, then you understand the intentions behind them. When you figure out who it benefits, you're like, oh, right, that's the reason why that was created. Ah, okay, I get it now. Okay, actually, I don't want that. That doesn't fit with my values. I'm going to do something else.
0: Yeah, so true. I've absolutely loved this conversation. You have fired off so many ideas and thoughts in my head. And the book is incredible. I really would encourage everyone, please buy it for your partners for Father's Day. Buy it for every man in your life. I'm definitely going to be buying one for my husband and my dad. It's really good. I usually ask, what's the one gift that people would give to all the mothers in the world. But because this is our Father's Day special, I want to ask you, what's the one gift that you would give to all the fathers in the world and why?
1: The one gift I would give to fathers in the whole world. That's a very good question. Wow. Okay. Let me think. The one gift I would give to them is a safe space. And the reason why I'd give them a safe space is that space would essentially create an environment where they don't feel judged, an environment where they're able to be vulnerable without feeling as if they're going to be called weak, a space where they grow, a space where they can be held accountable for their actions. Yeah, that's what I would give, a safe space.
0: That's beautiful. I think you could create that.
1: I think I should. Everything is leading and leaning towards that. Everything is. You know, and hey, I'm soaking it all up. And rather than follow the old school way of control, and because I'm the planner, I've always been the planner. Do you know what I mean? But now I'm learning to just be free flowing. You know, this is what I'm being led to.
0: That's the new way of doing business, I think, is far more in the feminine being led by what people are asking for. And, you know, who needs a business plan these days, for God's sake, unless you want investment. But it's just like, let's just be far more intuitive and feminine with how we serve and how we support people with what we need. Yeah, it's beautiful
1: absolutely thank you very much thank you so much
0: oh you're welcome it's been an absolute joy i have loved this and i know that so many people are going to love this episode and if you've loved it please do send it just copy the link and send it to the men in your life thank you so that was the episode i hope you really enjoyed it please do share it with the men in your life just copy the link from wherever you're listening to your podcast pop it in a whatsapp and please do share it far and wide if you want to listen to the episode that i did with bode's wife candice it is equally as incredible then just search Motherkind candice brathwaite and the episode will come up i think you will love that one just as much if you haven't already listened to it thank you again for being here i deeply appreciate you i will see you next time